everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Monster Baby, a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. My name is Ted DeMaison. I'm Lisa Rowland. We are co-hosts. And we have a super exciting episode for you because we have another very, very, very special guest. This one is Dan O'Connor. Dan O'Connor, who is visiting from LA. He is super awesome and has some super stuff, super awesome stuff going on. He was one of the founding members of Bats Improv here in San Francisco. Shortly after, he went down to LA and and was a founding member of Los Angeles Theater Sports. It is now Impro Theater. He is the producing artistic director of that company, and they do awesome genre, long-form narrative stuff. Really, really high-quality stuff. Really cool, really cool stuff. Yeah, and he's... he's uh with Jeff Katzman has just written a book called Life Unscripted. Yeah, which is all about how improv- the lessons of improvisation can lead you to, to live a, a better, m- more rich and... Uh, vibrant, vibrant, lively, life. lively <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. And you can say, hmm, I think that would make sense for him to be on this podcast. Seems like there's some good crossover. So yeah, he was in town. Uh, he, we'll tell you more about that. But anyway, we brought him along and had a great conversation. So uh, you'll learn some about the book. You'll learn some about what it's Dan awesome. has done and down in LA. A, yeah, it's a super fun conversation about all of the stuff that we get most juiced up about. Yeah. Uh, and and the book is killer. So uh, you all should go get it. Let's let's get right into this episode because it's good stuff, people. Hit it. Enjoy. Welcome to the Monster Baby Podcast, Dan okay. O'Connor. Uh, we're on. This yeah, is, you great. Know, we're super excited that you're going to be in town because you're here because your intelligent, talented, lovely spouse, brilliant, Amy hilarious Patterson, is here yeah. doing improv with Lisa and her awkward dinner party. So we thought, oh, let's get Dan to come join <laughs> yeah. the podcast. And what incredible timing! Like your book just your book just came out. My book just dropped the same day as Bob Woodward's book. <laughs> So I posted online and said, one is about, uh, one is completely about fear and the other one is about the freedom from it. Oh. The choice is clear. You, you have to buy yeah. my book. What a beautiful, what a beautiful, yeah. So Dan's book is called Life Unscripted, Using Improv Principles to Get Unstuck, Boost Confidence and Transform Your Life. So I think the tricky part on our podcast today is going to be like to find some overlap with some, what you're saying and what we're talking ground. about. Yeah, right. No, this just, it was super <laughs> exciting and I've been reading through it and it's great. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. And uh, But you hadn't you hadn't actually seen the book. No, this is this the first time, couple minutes thanks ago. to you, Ted, that I'm actually holding a copy of it. I got a galley a while ago, but it, it's gone through many changes since then. It's beautiful. That's one of the things, Jeff, my writing partner, Dr. Jeff and I, um, we kept, as we were writing it, we kept finding things Sometimes together and sometimes separate, we'd go, oh, we got to talk about that. <laughs> and I think probably if they had let us, the book would have been another 100 pages. Yeah. It's so hard to trim down. It was very it was very hard to trim down and yet also good to trim down because that is not a, hopefully not a daunting read. Yeah. And, um, and we, you know, we wanted to make it accessible and, and, and talking to North Atlantic Books, who's our publisher... We went. Oh yeah, we should we should pare this down a little bit. But we kept finding things like, oh maybe we'll write another book because we we yep. we keep finding yeah there. keep finding things. We keep finding people like one of the things that was inspiring early on was seeing a piece. I think it was a documentary about Charles Lim, who's actually at UCSF, mm, right? And um, and that idea of the areas of the brain that. Um, that are sort of put on mute. Your judgment stuff is put on mute when you're improvising. Yeah. Which, 
we were very excited about. So cool. um, uh, so, so we kept finding things that we felt could go under, you know, this title. Um, and Jeff has been very, um, evangelizing about, because it's worked for, for his own life, about, uh, unscripting, about the idea of people, uh, projecting, you know, oh, Ted, you'll never be a dancer or Dan, mm -hmm. you'll never be a good singer or whatever. Lisa, you don't have that particular thing or this is the story that other people are telling you. Yeah. And the idea of taking a moment to go, well, wait a minute, that's that's other people projecting something on me. Mm -hmm. And I my story is different than that. Mm. And so he's he's very excited about that because between in his family I believe they talk about oh you're you need to unscript mm -hmm. I love that as a verb unscripting yeah yeah so so dr. Jeff like tell me a little bit about him and you and your our origin story yeah your origin yeah. story like how you got connected and how this inspiration was was we born. found a radioactive spider <laughs> and um, uh, we uh, well uh, when uh, when I uh, I was doing L.A. theater sports because, you know, I, I was part of BATS and the, uh, BATS Improv and then moved down to L.A. and a bunch of us San Francisco expats started theater sports down there. And one of the earliest groups in the early 90s, uh, Jeff was part of a, a group of people who had all been taking class, I think, at Second City. And they decided they wanted to do something different in addition to. And they came to theater sports. It was this whole sort of intact class that came mm. came oh, to cool. us which was very cool and Jeff was doing his residency at UCLA mm. and working at the VA mm. and he was taking stuff that I taught him in theater sports and applying it to guys who were suffering from PTSD so cool. and found all of these connections and so we started talking about it way back when uh, then he you know Life goes on. He well, way uh, back when, like when, what we, year are we talking? I think I think probably the first time we talked about it um, was after he had already moved out of L.A. So may, maybe ninety eight. I'm not yeah, sure. Okay, we've been talking about it for a long time, and uh, but when we were talking about it uh, way back when, I think we were interested in. As I told you guys before we started recording about you know teaching at Esalen and doing stuff together mm -hmm. and, and being groovy, groovy young men uh, hanging out in the in the hanging out in the in the, in the uh, hot, hot springs yeah. at night yeah. and <laughs> hey dropping wisdom yeah <laughs> come over here I want to drop some wisdom let me um, tell you about some improv yeah hey, clothing which is all. such a great uh, you know pickup line yeah I'm not wearing any clothes and I want to talk to you about improv <laughs> uh, but uh, oh maybe we could try that. Yeah. <laughs> But, but we, I think maybe about four or five years ago, his family all still lives in LA, even though he's been, he got married and uh, raised a family in Albuquerque and, and works at the teaching hospital there. He was out and I said, you know, we've been talking about this. Uh, and he said, yeah, we've been talking about it. Let's have coffee. We had coffee and it was a, the most dense one hour coffee I've ever had because oh, so great. we just started going, yeah, this, yeah, this. And had we had even more points of connection than, than uh, I think we thought. Uh -huh. um, I'd love to hear what his version of it is. But yeah. uh, but then we, we started, and I think we started writing about two and a half years ago and writing bits and pieces. We'd get um, online together or on the phone for an hour or two and work. And then, we'd, like I said, we'd find new stuff and 
dig, you know, go down that rabbit hole. But he is, I've been very lucky. He is one of the nicest human beings in the world, mm. which I imagine helps when you're dealing with somebody who's juggling fire all the time. I guess I, I have many, I have, a, I have a portfolio of occupations. Yeah. So um, my attention span and what have you is a little, I think, hard to deal with. And he was fantastic and mm. kind of kept us on track and did a lot of heavy lifting early on that I think we needed to, to establish what are we mm. doing. Cool. And, uh, and we've taught together uh, a bunch, and that's been interesting to sort of teach an improv class that's also talking about, you know, let's look, let's look at your brain. Yeah. Let's, mm. uh, let's look at some of the research that's been done and talk about um, a lot of uh, different aspects. One of the things that we talked about early on was the still face experiment, which has to do, and oh, it's yeah. in the book, it has to do with babies and mothers. Oh, yeah. And that babies basically have a yes and default that, you know, they smile at mom. Mom smiles bigger. She's yes anding the smile. Yeah. The baby then smiles even bigger than that. And there's yeah. a rapport. And um, in the study, um, the mom is asked to turn away from the baby, which when you're watching it. It's is, like heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Because the baby does. It's like what? The baby's world just goes yeah. away. Yeah. And, and is, you know, struggling to connect, to connect, to connect, and then is in uh, distress. Yeah. Uh, and then it's very satisfying when mom turns back around and baby's back in the world again. But, yeah. but that idea that we're, we're actually, we have a lot more sort of yes and, it's kind of beaten out of it. It's the Johnstone thing that, yeah. you know, adults are atrophied children. Right. And um, that, that we actually are... If we're, you know, allowed to be, and if we're raised that way, more yes and creatures than not, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though the brain for survival instinct is very much about no for stuff that it doesn't understand because mm -hmm. the, the best way to survive is knowing what's going on. Right. So um, we've had a lot of fun in aspects of, you know, how does this prove itself on stage? Um and how does it prove itself in particularly narrative improv training and how I think one of the things I really like is that every relationship is a story. Yeah. How well mm. you tell that story, how well you're in second circle with the other person goes directly to how engaging it is, how resonant it is. And, um, both for the players and for the audience. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and what I have done when I'm teaching civilians is to talk about, you know, this is this is good third date material, right. you know. Um, I think it's a Johnstone, Keith Johnstone quote of, if you're interested, you're interesting. Yeah. And one of the things, we were interviewed by a magazine a while back, and they were asking, well, how do you get your point, how do you get your way? How do you get your way without coming off as, you know, an asshole. You don't try to get your way. And, and, and what, and Jeff, like he heard the question and he was he, like, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen to yourself. And, and I, I said, well, if you pay attention, you'll get attention. You know, if you're, if you're engaged and really curious about the other person, then at some point they'll recognize that yeah. and start to ask you questions. And then your, your agenda can or cannot be revealed at that point. Right. Um, so, but just the idea of engagement and curiosity, which is kind of a lost art. Yeah. Well, and I'm also hearing a, a mutuality, a willingness to say, this isn't, it's not just about me. Like we're in this together. We can get a win-win out of it. And, 
And just for folks who might be new to improv or might not know the vocabulary, this principle of yes and, a fundamental principle of improvisation, the notion that somebody puts an offer forward and the other person builds on it, uh, says yes to the to whatever was said, and then adds something else to so it becomes bigger and f- more developed. Uh, yeah, you mentioned like third date material. I was also thinking of negotiation or like positive situations or tense situations if we're in this mindset of, hey, I'm here with you and we can get something together that's better for both of us. It makes that makes that shift. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's it's I mean, that's an old sales technique. If you can get somebody in a relaxed place where they think it's their idea to buy your product. Yeah. And and that comes about with engagement, that comes about with, you know, story. We did some training. We've done lots of training uh, with sales teams, mm. and and one of the one of the, one of the things that they get into trouble is that they they know these clients. They're you know they schmooze them all year round, and then they go to some convention where they're supposed to sell, um, and they come out and they have powerpoints and it's very bullet pointy and very like well this does this and has this much features yeah it's it's all about features and none of that is narrative none of that is story and none of that's really human it's a connection yeah and so if if what we have been you know what we preach to the to the sales teams is to go look you know that person you've you've taken them to lunch you've you've bought them drinks or whatever Talk to them about why this is important to you as a human being and see where that goes because that's going to be resonant. That's going to be engaging. And um, and that's what people want. They want to feel heard and seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a quote. I keep forgetting the name of the theologian who said it. Um, maybe maybe you know this. <laughs> Say yeah. the quote. Let's see what we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the feeling of being heard is not unlike the feeling of being loved. Oh, oh. But, but that idea that, um, uh, whoever said it, you're a wise person, sir. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but, but, but that idea that people don't feel heard, it's why, you know, a good kindergarten teacher and a good first and second grade teacher who's able to make a kid feel like they're seen oh, yeah. yep. uh, is gold because that, that sense of engagement, there's a presence there and you don't feel like one of a crowd. Yeah. I, I... I have two things. The first thing is my fourth grade teacher told me she was willing to be sarcastic with me. Mm. And she like let me know that she knew it was because I got it. Like I got sarcasm, you know, as as humor. And it was like different than the way she like treated the other kids. And I never forgot. Like I felt on top of the world because she was like, you get it. You're I see, I see you. I see you. That's I see so what cool. you can handle. Um, and the other thing it reminds me of is this idea that the the most deadly the most deadly epidemic that we're dealing with right now is loneliness. Uh-huh. Is the previous Surgeon General I forget his name said that the biggest problem that we have and the reason that people are succumbing to addiction and various diseases is because we're lonely and we don't have this network and we aren't feeling really seen and, and cared for and caught. Uh, and it, yeah, it feels like an antidote to all of that. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, at, at our school in Los Angeles, at the, at the Impro Theater School, and I'm sure at, at BATS and any other, uh, you know, school of theater, there's, you know, there's people who want to be performers and writers and directors and yeah. they want to be in the arts, but there's also people, we have a lot of people who are engineers, contractors, mm-hmm. they're, they're coming from a completely different place. And this is the, 
the new millennium, uh, new millennium's version of of bowling night or book club. Yeah. And that you go to a class once a week, you get to make up stories and laugh with other people. There's engagement. Mm-hmm. There's community. There's support. There's like risk taking and yeah. tri- experimentation and support. Yeah. I mean, there's a. I think there's there was a study last year about, you know, what what is what is one of the chief components of longevity. Mm. And they're looking at exercise, diet, you know, alcohol consumption, whatever. Number one was interaction, was human connection. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which really inspired the hell out of me. Um, I really try now when, when Edie and I go for walks to say hello to everybody, mm. to say hello, to be engaged, to, wow. to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of that also has to do with uh, reading Patsy Rodenberg's book, reading Second Circle, and mm-hmm. uh, Joan McGinley training us all at Impro in, in Second Circle, that I know when I'm not being present. Yeah, when you're not connected. Yeah, yep. and, and just, just the understanding of that is huge. And I think that makes for more, like I said, resonant interaction. Mm-hmm. I, I have been finding this thing lately, sometimes when I'm out with friends, because I'm very similar to what you're describing in that whenever I'm in the store or walking down the street, I love connecting with people and just having these little snippets, little windows of quality interaction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes giving those people, I think, even more high quality attention than I give the person I'm with. I don't know if, you, if you've experienced that, but I kind of have to catch myself like, wait, why am I so excited about this, this new person yeah. and giving this little boost to them? You know, can I can I turn that same delight to the person I'm with? And some of it, I think, is just familiarity. Um, and some of it's the challenge of, oh, let me surprise let me this with person. This. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's it's an ongoing thing for me. I'm like, oh, I, wa- I want to connect this way with everybody. You all know, the time. All the time. Yeah. And and as as a resident introvert, you know, it's like it's sometimes it goes against my natural inclination. I'm like, oh, just I'll just stay in, inside myself. Mm-hmm. But like, no, I'm gonna choose to connect. And even if we're being quiet, I'm still energetically putting out some connection somehow. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it makes it way more fun to yeah. walk through the world. Yeah, um, I, I think that that is. That's one of the things in Edie and I have talked about that, that um, what, okay, so you're in second circle on stage or when you're teaching, what, what, how does that affect our relationship? And there's, there's a certain amount of going, oh yeah, I need to be really second circle if there is such a thing, but I need to be present and not, and not look at time at home as downtime from everything. From Off that's time. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. It, it, it's you. You still need to pay attention. You need to be present. Yeah. And if you have to go take a nap, go take a nap. Yeah, right. You know. So, Dan, we talked about uh, Second Circle on our episode called Get Present. I don't remember the number episode it was, but for those who haven't heard that episode or it's been a while, will you just say a little bit about what Second Circle is Well, to your understanding? Uh, it, my understanding um, from, from Joe's classes and from uh, reading Patsy Rodenberg's book is the second circle is the circle of engagement. And there's a lot of people, you know, people who are listening probably can recognize aspects of first, second, and third circle. First circle is kind of a siloed introvert. You're not giving anything off. You're kind of keeping everything close to the vest and, and really ins- you're insular. Yes. 
and it's the circle of retreat. And third circle people, and if you've been to a loud Hollywood party like I have, there are people who are talking to you and looking over your shoulder to see who's coming in and not really giving you their attention. They are playing at giving you attention. And I think the description is they're like an aerosol can of conversation. That it's just, it's just everywhere. It's for everybody everywhere. around. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like buckshot. Yeah. You know? um, and helpful, you know, third circle is helpful if you've got to clear a theater during a fire. You know, you have to be very third circle. And first circle, uh, and Joe uses the example of when she gets on a plane, she goes into first circle. Mm -hmm. She's just like, I'm going to chill out. And so sometimes first circle is helpful. Sometimes leave me alone. Third, yeah. yeah, yeah. On the subway. I'm, that, that's where I've heard people talk about it the most. Totally. Is, you know, subway or the tube or whatever, you, you go into first circle. I will not engage with you, crazy person. Not open for business. Yeah. Not, nothing to see here. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that goes also to status. There's some amount of, of that. Um, and I've played that game uh, occasionally of, of being pretending to be much higher status than I am in order not to get my face kicked in at a, at a bar. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but second circle, the circle of not getting into a bar fight, the circle of engagement. And that's where, you know, you are present for the other person. You're, you're having uh, an engaging conversation or, or you're just engaged whether you're talking or not. Um, which is really helpful for us as improvisers who are making up a full two-hour play because we have nothing but the moment. Yeah. There's to show us the, the way forward. The, yeah, there, there is, is no... nothing other than the moment. Yeah. And if you start thinking about something else, you're kind of going first circle and digging into the treasure trove of whatever, but you've taken a step back from the moment. And Johnstone talks a lot a lot about this in terms of actors get on stage and already they put up a line, you know, there's a, there's a wall already, as opposed to really good actors where you feel like there is no wall uh, because their second circle is engaging the audience as well. It includes the people in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you for that review. It's, it's such a powerful concept. Yeah. So simple. And yet, you know, you can take years to dive into it. And I first learned it from Joe too, five years ago. And it, and I went and trained with Patsy for changed your life. a month last summer, a month this summer. Yeah, it completely changed my life. Yeah. And and now it's a lot of what I do. But that's that's really succinct. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, it, this is maybe is, is an impossible question. And, and it's not an impossible question, but maybe it's a big one. Other than, man, this is good stuff and we should we should write a book about it. Like, what are the some of the things where you're like, if people read this book, I want them to get, like, this, these are the nuggets of, like, why I think this is important for people to know out in the world. Well, I, I mean, I, I have a, I have a dream. Yeah, I love it. I have a dream. Preaching, Dan. Yeah, right. I, I have a dream, and I've had it for a while, uh, of building the... International Center for Improvisation in beautiful Los Feliz, California, <laughs> in LA, with because I feel like, and I did it. I did a TEDx talk up in Napa, which is kind of what Jeff and I. It was one of the kickoff moments in in talking about the book, because I in the TEDx talk talked about wanting improv to be part of curriculum in junior high, yes. high school, yeah. Uh, the understanding that, you know, kids who aren't physical, who don't get to play team sports, still get to learn how to socialize, and that all kids get to learn how to tell a story, tell their own story, and be engaged, and be authentic. Mm -hmm. I think that improv talks is a great 
channeler of truth. It's a great way to look at yourself. It's a great way to engage with others, make your partner look good. That was one of the big things from the from the TEDx thing was all of us improvise every day, and yet very few of us ever were taught to improvise. Why wouldn't you want to learn some skills that you already do every day and get that. better at doing them? Yeah. And um, so the idea of the of a center, and I think that the guys from Improbable in London are have started an organization called the International Improvisation Institute, which and we've talked back and forth, and they they did a big what is that? Uh, there's a meeting thing where everybody is able to, and I can't think. A symposium. Well, it was a symposium, but they do it, they do a particular methodology, Mm. open space. space. Oh, got it, yes. Open space. And so they've done a number of things. They have an uh, an organization called Devoted and Disgruntled, which is about the future of theater in the UK. That's a a beautiful name. It is, and I I often have wished someone would pay me to get to go and and just be part of it, because it sounds amazing. Um, but they're, they're trying to establish the International Institute of Improvisation. At the same time, I was thinking there should be something here where we're teaching not just actors and writers and artists, but, but teaching Everybody. people who run NGOs, people who run mm-hmm. um, nonprofits, mm-hmm. people who are running for office, mm-hmm. uh, people who teach uh, in schools, that, that, that every you know, LAUSD or San Francisco USD is getting training like teachers should be trained in improv like you said that teacher you remember that teacher from fourth grade mm-hmm. my second grade teacher mrs geinzer uh was very i remember her name yeah and she laughed at something i did i think i was imitating monty python or something like that and uh and was encouraging i said i think i said something she asked something and i said so be it and which was something so weird for a second, for a grade second grader to, to say. say yeah. But instead of being mocked or whatever, because it was a little whatever, she was very, she laughed. And this was not a woman given, given to uh, easy laughter. She was a very serious second grade teacher. <laughs> oh, that but, makes an impact. But the fact that, you know, this adult was engaging me yep. and made me feel like, oh, I could make people laugh. Yeah. So, so, so that's that. I don't know how we got off on this, but I want to build a giant center, not only to teach all these people that I just, you know, talked about, but also to figure out other ways in which improv can help to change society and the planet for and good. And the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it was about why is this important? Why, yeah. Oh, like, that's what, right. What do you so, want people to get yeah, out of this that's, book? That's why is it important? I'm yeah. holding the book, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> listening at home. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that was our was a, a huge part of this is we we realized how much this applies to everybody mm. and and wanted to you know have some impact and this is something that you know I've taught uh, as I'm sure you both have I've taught some pretty you know um straight lace straight lace yeah. recalcitrant um Groups. I had a, a woman last year. She walked up to me before we started and went, "Just so you know, I'm not creative." <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we have nowhere to go but up. <laughs> uh, but but there's a lot of people outside of the arts who need mm-hmm. this. Uh, to your thing of loneliness, 
you know mm. uh, part of that is fear of failure mm-hmm. part of not wanting to reach out and not wanting to take risks mm-hmm. and thinking that you know uh, that it will be worse to to risk than it is just to sit here and suffer yeah and um, so I think there is a sort of mindfulness component of acknowledging your fear but understanding that that's part of life and not not a barrier to yes, it yeah. yeah so yeah that, that was one of the things that I in reading through the book that I you know when I came in the mail a couple of days ago was that you were you and Jeff were talking a lot about using improv to discover your own personal patterns and like what are the things that have been put upon you what are the things you put upon yourself so some of those are mental patterns or behavior patterns and then getting freedom from that so like, well, maybe I want to choose to do that. Maybe I don't. But that, that when I was reading that, I think, yeah, that's mindfulness. That's, oh, I'm aware I'm doing this. That's my default. And mm-hmm. I have an option to that's right. choose it or not. Now I've got an expanded range of possibility. And the, the, the joy that comes with that sense of freedom is intoxicating. Yeah. But that most people don't even know that it can, that. can yeah. get to it because they... They feel so locked into their script. Yeah. Whether it was given to them or they created it themselves. Well, and a lot of times people's scripts are, even if they're damaging and painful, they're comforting because they're familiar and it right. feels really disorienting or threatening to let them go. You at least know the range of the suffering you're going to experience. Yeah, right. That, the yeah. devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Yeah. And I think that's a lot. That's, that is a huge uh, challenge in society is yeah. people holding on to their fear. Yeah. Uh, holding on to it because they know it, it's familiar, and why should they change? Yeah. Uh, and when and maybe not acknowledging, and I, I don't know if we talk, I know Jeff and I have talked about this, but I don't know if we talk about it in the book, but life is imperfect. And uh, once you accept the fact that you're going to continue to fail your whole life, yes. it gets a lot easier. Totally. Because then you have a sort of acceptance of, the BS that happens, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to trying to be perfect, which is crazy making. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure we've all had, you know, we've all engaged with people who have have defined their life in such a way that there's no air and there's no room for any oh, mistakes. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking because you think, you know, you need an improv class. Yeah, uh, you you need to go learn how to fly a kite. You need to surf or something. And get, um, break out of your patterns. One, yeah. of the, one of the things in the book that was so simple, and I can't remember who taught it to me way back in the day when I first started teaching uh, corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. May have been Barbara Scott. I'm not sure. It was a long time ago. And But they said, you know, if you drive to work every day the same way at the same time, you don't wake up until 10, 15. Because you're you you're in such a group, you know, you've well worn groove in your life. Yeah. As opposed to go an hour early and walk in a park that's nearby work, or you know, take a morning yoga class, or have breakfast in it. Just do, do something different. Something different, because other. I mean, if you think about the repetition and the people who go to work every day the same way, mm-hmm. there's a sort of grayness that starts to. You know, it's so interesting when I think about that. When looked at against this pattern that people are talking about, decision fatigue, and wake up every day, do the same thing every morning, like have your routine, wear the same thing every day so that you don't need to worry about having to make decisions so that your brain power is saved for whatever. And I realized that, that you know, for the work, the work that you have to do once you get to work, and that just optimizes for a really different thing. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. optimizes for efficiency and and 
work, your professional work, or does it optimize for engagement? And it does not optimize for that idea of do the same thing every day so that you don't have to think about it is it, when you put it this way, then you don't wake up until 10, 15 because you've had no reason to engage with your life because you're on autopilot. Right. It's like really a compelling difference. Yeah. Pri prioritizing reliability. Yeah. Like what are you prioritizing yeah. when you build these systems of predictability? Well, and what I hear if you prioritize the other way of taking a new path to work or something is the prioritizing dis the possibility of discovery. You know, like, oh, Okay, I'm, I might enjoy the difference, but it's also, I might get new information. It's that, also just because your brain helpful. is sort of wired for novelty, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. oh, this is something, so more parts of your brain are awake more often. Yeah. Um, Floyd Van Buskirk, who's yeah. um, a member of our company and who was Rebecca Stockley's teacher back, at, back in Seattle. Um, Floyd said something, and this is why I'm saying you never stop learning and you never stop getting new information. He said something a couple months ago in a rehearsal, which was, yeah, it's about discovery, not invention. Mm -hmm. And a lot, I think just to, to put in the context of Life Unscripted and our book, I think this would be an ethic that we're preaching, which is that if, if you allow yourself to be relaxed enough to let that stuff out, it's there, as opposed to trying. And mm -hmm. this, this old Johnstone thing of the kids in school wanting to look like they were learning so they put on this mask of effort yeah, and yeah all the stuff as opposed and the kids who are daydreaming and looking out the window who probably were thinking amazing things and allowing their imagination to inform them were yeah. getting slapped on the wrist with the ruler mm -hmm. and that we need to allow for discovery and not feel that we need to you know create the next whatever gigantic product, whatever startup. Yeah. So you, in the, in the book, either you have a chapter on, uh, on spontaneity, right? This is something from nothing. Is that the, uh -huh. yeah. So you, you talk about exercises and games that help breed this stuff, right? Uh, I'm going, well, yeah, yeah. Did we? Yeah. Did we, did we do that? <laughs> that sounds right. This, this sounds is, like we might've done that. Me, yeah. But so I'm curious if you have a game, a spontaneity game, uh, or exercise that you could share with us that we could play that people back home might be interested in trying. Sure. People back home, back on the farm. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, well, this is, this is huge in Iowa, isn't it? <laughs> it's a hotbed. Yeah. Um, Corny jokes, perhaps. Listen. That's yeah. what they're doing. Well, you know, one of the, oh my God, now I got to look at the book. Um, <laughs> the I'm trying to think what's in the book, what's the in the time. book and what's, uh, and what's in my head because one of the things I like to teach a real basic game to everybody, which is just last letter, first letter. Yeah. Mm. Because to me, it's both things. And, well, we can play it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to speak a line of dialogue, and one of you will respond with a line of, we'll make up a story, and you have to use the last letter of my last word okay. as the first letter of your first word. Okay. And then we just keep trading off. Sure. And we're telling a story, is it? Yeah, let's let's tell a story. And but we're gonna do it with that caveat. Great. Sure. Okay. Great. And if if one of us forgets, we just remind each other. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is it with a huge buzzer? Yeah. Yeah, you're out. You're off. It's done. This is all over. Yeah. Roberto had never ridden a horse before. Every day he rode a wagon, but never a horse. Except today would be different because today he decided to walk right out and make friends with the farmer next door. 
Ralph was a kindly man. He leaned over and asked Roberto his name. Roberto, said Roberto. Oh, I bet you're of Hispanic heritage, said Ralph. How perceptive of you, Roberto replied, as he eyed the horse in the pasture enviously. Yes, yes, you may ride him, said Ralph, all-knowing. Go on, step right out there. He'll be welcoming. <laughs> Growing more and more quivery in anticipation, Roberto approached the beautiful chestnut horse in front of him. Maybe if I just pet him, he thought to himself. For once, I can make a connection with an animal like I've wanted to all my life. I've had insects, but never mammals in my home. Everything was going so well <laughs> for Roberto until... The horse swung his big, beautiful face in his direction. Now you have a friend, said the horse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so oh, I'm wondering what Ralph was thinking as he's watching this unfold. Oh, well, Ralph yeah. knew exactly Ralph, what yeah. was going on. Ralph, he, he was, was the, all He knowing. was the Donald O'Connor yeah, of Petaluma. Yeah, yeah, he got it. He, he got it. Yeah. yeah. Just I'm making Francis the Talking Mule references, everybody. Um, <laughs> just, just to keep it really hip and O'Connor. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of like the um, Esalen hot tub yes. time period. Francis yes. the Talking Mule. Right? Yeah. Did you ever see you ever know? No. no. At some point. No. They were movies with Donald Connor and a talking mule. I think Great. it was the precursor to Mr. Ed. So, Great. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> I don't the, think I, you're that much older than me, but I don't know that yeah. reference either. <laughs> uh, these were the movies I watched on Saturday mornings, I think. Yeah. So, so for me, when you do that with civilians, when you do that with people who are not improvisers per se, they get a couple of things out of it. One, their natural tendency to wait for your mouth to stop moving so that they can speak whatever great idea they've been having while they have not been listening yeah. to you. They have to listen to you. Mm -hmm. So that sort of light bulb goes off and people go, yes, how many times during the day am I just waiting for your mouth to stop moving? Yeah. Yep. Which, if you think about it from an efficiency standpoint, if you're brainstorming with a group of people and half the people in the room are only thinking of, are in first circle and not listening to each other, mm -hmm. they're not engaged, then you're not getting the benefit of what that group mind or that group creativity can create. Yeah. Sure. Because people aren't listening to half the stuff that's been said. And I, I think that, that that's uh, it's such a shame. And you ha what happens is you get people who become, become first circle because nobody ever really listens to them. So why should they offer yep. anything? Mm. And it becomes this gradual retreat. And what a loss that is. Yeah. It, it, you know, you, you're paying for that person to be there. They have mm -hmm. something to offer. If you're not going to let them offer, you might as well let them go have a longer lunch break. Mm -hmm. So that, that type of non-hierarchical management where you can flatten out the space by everybody being engaged with equally as opposed to and i've been in story meetings um with higher ups 
when they come in and it's interesting to, and normally I'm a consultant, so I don't have anything to lose. I, I, I'm only there for the day or that week or whatever it is. So I speak my mind, but I can see people negotiating in the room of power. how how do I not upset the power? And what and I'm I'm sure this must be the case for some people in leadership, which is they get more mad because people aren't giving them anything. Well, it's like, well, maybe they're not giving them giving you anything because you intimidate the crap out of them. Right. Or or you've not opened the space enough up. You haven't opened up the space enough for them to feel welcome that they can contribute. Yeah. I love that this much insight can come out of that game. Right. Right. That we're it, on one level you could say, oh, we're just playing a game and you know, it's just a fun little exercise, like a little parlor thing you could play at a party. And yet if you play the game and then pay attention to what's happening, it's got all this wisdom in it. Yeah. You know, that's just there for the plucking. Yeah. There for the for the yeah, there's, discernment. There's there's what you're talking about is so is so interesting to me because I think there is so much lip service to these principles and so little practice of them. So people are like, fail, fail fast, fail better. Failing is great. And you will only be rewarded for your successes. And, mm-hmm. oh yeah, everybody's ideas are welcome here. And that is not how we run meetings. <laughs> you right. know, like, so we talk about, we talk a good game. Like so many people in organizations talk a good game and there's never any practice. And my beef with a lot of applied improv stuff is that it's one afternoon and people learn the principles and they don't practice them. And this idea that improvise, that improvisers bring, which is the, we're, we're constantly in a state of practicing this way of being with one another so that we understand, mm-hmm. so we get, we, it sinks deeper than just a knowledge of it, but it becomes an experience of it is such a, such a powerful thing for creating a culture where, where people do practice accepting ideas and it's, it can be non-hierarchical. And that's that been the, I mean, I've heard you say that before, Lisa, where you have this dream of someday being able to go into a corporation or a nonprofit or whatever work with a group of people where they're doing a sustained improv. They're learning improv over a together. eight week, 10 week period together yeah. so that they're really taking on these principles yeah. and yeah. building that kind of ensemble thinking. Yeah, we, we get a lot of calls of, hey, can you come in and do that? We have an hour. We have an hour. You're like, I can show you a good time. Yeah, I mean, you have a good time and you'll you'll be refreshed for the rest of the day. You might even It might even warm you for a week. Yeah. Uh, but really to have it, get some stickiness going. You need, you need a little bit more than that. And I, and we've, we've had some, you know, relationships where it's been ongoing and we go in every quarter and, Mm -hmm. and have that. Like reactivate that stuff. Yeah. And remind people of the language and, and so that it is second nature and it's not some weird Esalen non, non mainstream thing. It's, this is actually not to knock Esalen or anything like that, or Marin County or Big Sur or any place like that. <laughs> but uh, but the idea that, you know, that these skills are business skills. Yeah. Right. They're not, they, they are also terrific tools for creativity and for... Relate, relationships. Yes. And, for and, clowning. and clowning. And clowning. And personal development. Yeah. Yeah. Aligning your chakras. Right. This, there's all that's true. Uh, but... And I, I think people are starting to change. I can remember, like, when I first started doing corporate work in the 90s with Rebecca and, and other people in, in San Francisco, I can remember that it was be- one of the reasons it felt like is because everybody had tons of money. Yeah. Everybody said, yeah, let's do that. And uh, there was a lot of that. And then, of course, there was a, a dark period where... Not, nobody was doing nobody any of was that. Nobody was doing any of that. <laughs> yeah. And now, I think it's come back around again 
because people see the bottom line and people see their culture being shifted and changed and that people are uh, more engaged with what's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And really, any successful business is about people being invested in where they are. Yeah. And, and whole, that the, their whole selves can show up there. And there's that, that holistic focus is relatively new. Yeah. There, there's yeah. a study at Google about high-quality teams, and the key variable they found was, does the group feel psychologically safe? Yeah. You know, do they take care of each other? And if, the, if that's the case, then all of a sudden they're much then more able to contribute. And all these ideas are yeah. welcome on the sure. table. Yeah. yeah. here for a, for a quick minute. Well, or as long as you want. As long as you this want. is the end of this part of the episode. <laughs> we split the conversation into two episodes because it was so rich we wanted to make sure to include uh, as much of it as we could. Yeah, so come back and and you can hear the rest of what we've got uh, the rest of our conversation with Dick. Yeah, if you if you end up pausing here and you want to send the note to us, info at monsterbabypodcast.com, we'd love to hear from you. But uh, heck don't just don't just end here. Come back and listen to the second half of our conversation with Dan. We'll see you there.